So as we're doing this, when she was talking about water earlier, and, I, we, and we have this cat that has taken up residence with us, uh, courtesy of our daughter. Y'all don't have any pets like that, right, that came to you courtesy of your children. So anyhow, this is, this is a large animal. He's about 16 pounds, and yeah, he's a big boy. And uh, he, he, you know, I, I take a bath at least once a week. I don't know about y'all, but I try, especially on Saturday nights, I usually bathe because, you know, Sunday morning, but, but he, he finds this very distressing that, you know, I mean, he, and he's trying to help you. So, you know, when you go and you get in the shower, you know, it really bothers him and he's worried about you. And, you know, he stands outside the shower door and it's kind of like, good God, man, don't you know you're going to get wet? Save yourself. And so he's, he's just out there panicked the whole time you're in the shower. Meow, meow. So I'm going, not everybody likes water. And he's, he's sure something bad's going to happen. We're going to talk about baptism. This is a baptism of the Lord's Sunday as we begin this morning. And I'm, just kind of as we begin the year, we always do this. And we uh, do Wesley's Covenant prayers. We begin a way of recommitting ourselves. And, uh, you know, uh, about not this last summer, but summer before last, uh, my, my MD, my doctor, was looking at my, my numbers and everything. He said, you know, cholesterol is kind of on the borderline. He says, I want you to put you on one of these statins, right? Some of y'all take those. And, and, uh, and, he, and he put me on about the middle of June. And uh, so on July, the July 4th weekend, July 4th was actually on a Monday, but on the, on the weekend we were out at the lake at my brother-in-law's place. And uh, I'd been taking this stuff for about two weeks. And we're out there and we're messing with stuff and putting the boat away. And, and I have, I mean, my back just goes into these spasms. And I've never had this happen before. Uh, and so, you know, it just, it just really kind of craters me for a second. And, of course, you know, I'm a guy, right? So guys, you know, so my wife's going, oh, honey, do we need to go home? No, I'll be fine, right? Because that's what we do because we're idiots. And, uh, <laughs> and so, you know, I tough it out through the night, and, you know, and, and, and the next morning comes, and, and I get up and step out of the bed, and, and it's so bad I just passed out on the floor. And, uh, and, and so my wife's going, I think you're going to the clinic now. We're going to the, you know, so uh, we drive down and, and uh, the doctor says, well, you know, some people don't do well on these. So we want you to take, get off of this for a while and take these muscle relaxer stuff and everything. And so I did that. And about two months after that, my doctor says, well, you know, let's try you on a different one. So he puts me on a different one. And in about five days, I'm back at the same clinic all over again. And then he tells me, you know, uh, I'm, well, actually, the doctor at the clinic tells me, you know, there's a small percentage of the population that does not do well on these drugs. No, really. <laughs> and, and, and she proceeds to tell me, you know, in some people what happens is these actually cause, uh, you know, breakdown. They cause damage to muscle tissue and connective tissue. And if you keep taking it, it'll damage your heart. Wow. Gee, so the, the stuff you're giving me to protect my heart is going to damage my heart. That, that, does that make sense? I mean, and so I started listening to all the, you know, the things you know, on, the, on, the new, on the television when they're advertising those drugs. Do you all listen to those things? Oh, my gosh. I mean, some of the side effects and stuff they go through, you know, I mean, you know and, and things like, you know, you can take this one, and it's for, uh, it's for depression, but, you know, it may make you homicidal. <laughs> you know, oh, well, that's great. I just love that, right? And and this one will do this, but it makes you prone to all kinds of infections and things. And, and my favorite one is there's one that's a, it's a, it's supposed to help you lose weight. But the side effects are vomiting, nausea, diarrhea, flatulence. I'm thinking, oh, that's just charming. You're going to look really good, but no one's going to want to be close to you. Trust me. Trust me. I'm just thinking, 
I started listening to that and I'm thinking, you know, how, you know, I mean, now, first off, I need to be really clear. If you really need to take a drug, take the drug. No, don't hear me saying that. But, but you know, I'm, I'm thinking on some of those, I'm listening to those thinking on some of these drugs that we take that are, you know, we don't have to have them. And, and all that. I'm thinking, you know, how desperate are we uh, that we're willing to run those kinds of risks uh, for some of these things? Uh, you know, I mean, sometimes I think that yeah, we, we uh, are fooling ourselves about where we are in life and how we feel about ourselves and, and our desperation to be better than we are. Uh, how many of you make New Year's resolutions? Oh, y'all are really good. Yeah, it's like 815's just given up on it. No one at 815 would admit it. No, nope, no, nope, don't do it. We just don't do it anymore. Because, you know, 99% of them fail within, you know, like a month. And so the 815 crowd, they've just quit. You know, well, we're not going to do that. Uh, but, but the reason is it takes like 90 days of concentrated effort to change a habitual behavior. So most people make the resolutions, but they're not willing to do the work. And so they fail. I mean, so, you know, we, we have all this stuff in our lives that, that we're unhappy about or that we want to change or, or we want to modify. And, and, and we're unable to do that or unwilling to do that. Or sometimes we're willing to take really tremendous risks to do that. Whereas God has given us a way to change a lot of those things in our lives, not necessarily the physical things, but our spiritual realities. God's given us the ability to do that with no side effect and with no risk, except you have to be willing to let it die. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks for the gift of life that you give us and for the gift of second and third and fourth and fifth chances you give us. And we ask this morning that your spirit would rest on us in this time. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. For you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So this Sunday is the Sunday when on the church calendar we remember the baptism of Christ. And uh, you know, when we do a, a baptism renewal service, and I don't know about y'all, but, you know, if you say, remember your baptism, I'm going, well, you know, I was like, what, three months old? I don't really remember a lot about it, uh, although I have some memories, but not very many. But I like to go back and do this because in our tradition, we don't emphasize baptism that much, and I like to, us to remember the power of it uh, and how it impacts us. So the, the story we start with comes out of Mark's Gospel. And I'll remind you that uh, John the Baptist, remember, is Jesus' cousin. So they've known each other. And, and John the Baptizer appeared in the wilderness proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And people from the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem were going out to him and were baptized in the River Jordan, confessing their sins. Now, the fact that the whole countryside and all the people of the city go out to him, to me, that's significant. And a recognition or an admission by the people that there was something that needed to change in their lives. Now John was clothed with camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And Texans tend to think of locusts at what we think of actually are cicadas that we have down here. You know, real locusts look more like big grasshoppers. But the, the truth is that in that part of the world, there's also a plant that grows that has a fruit on it that's called a locust. Uh, and... Uh, and other places we're told that John didn't eat meat at all of any kind. So more than likely, most of the people uh, think that really it was a reference to that particular kind of fruit off that plant that he was eating. Uh, he proclaimed, the one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. 
I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And just as he was coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens torn apart and the Spirit descending like a dove on him. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son, the beloved. With you, I am well pleased. Now, there's a couple of things with this. One, you know, we tend to romanticize some of these passages in Scripture. We have pictures in our head, and, and I don't know about y'all, but, you know, when, when I think of being baptized in the wilderness, I'm thinking of, like, the Frio River out at Lakey and all that. And a couple of years ago, Sherry and Wynn took a group, I went with a group and went to the Holy Land and took some photos, just so you can kind of see that it's really not that romantic a place. We call it a slough, probably, or a bayou or something like that. And, and uh, this particular location uh, has uh, steps you can see going down into that lovely, inviting water where, you know, I'm sure everybody that walks in there is wondering what is actually underneath that. Uh, but it, it, this is one of the traditional locations that it takes place uh, there in um, the Holy Land. And you can go there and, and actually be baptized or renew your baptism there when you're there. And when we come to baptism, uh, the number two is significant because there are two actors and there are two parts to baptism. Uh, the two actors are, are God and you. Um, those of us who are up here today, we're just functionaries, we're representatives. Uh, but the actors, the people taking action in that are God and you. And the two parts are baptism by water and baptism by the Spirit. Now, one of the things that happens when we get into this is people will raise the question, of, well, well why, did, why was Jesus? I mean, surely if somebody didn't need to be baptized, it would have been Jesus, right? I mean, what was he doing out there? And, and I remind you, we've talked through the past year that Jesus is both fully divine but also fully human. And while the fully divine part of Jesus may not have needed to be baptized you know, in any way, shape, or form, the fully human did, just in the sense that you and I did. And it's possible, maybe, think that in that moment of baptism that the fully human and the fully divine of Jesus were perhaps more fully integrated than at any other time. Uh, so there's this, the, these two parts, and, and we have to remember that there is that human uh, aspect that's in there too. Uh, when we talk about this, God in you and the two parts, water and the Spirit, most of us think of water. And this is what uh, John was doing in the River Jordan, baptism by water, where the person comes and repents of their sin, and they're washed, and, and forgiveness is pronounced over them. I like to remind you, you know, repentance uh, in Greek is metanoia, to change your way of thinking or being or knowing. Uh, it's not simply to say, I'm sorry. It's to state your intention to make a change, to leave that behind to be something different going into the future. And in response to that, God says, then I forgive that stuff that has been in your past that you want to leave behind, and I, and I remove it from you. Uh, John Wesley would talk about sin. He would talk about uh, us being created, you know, in the image of God and the goodness of the image of God, and then sin being kind of a corruption or a, a crust or layer or disease that would cover over uh, that original goodness that we were created in. And so one way to think about this is to see it in that way, that we, we bring all that sin before God, and God washes that off to restore us back to the goodness that we were created to have. Uh, it's that washing away. In the same way when you come in from doing yard work, you wash the dirt off. Uh, it's that same kind of thing. And this is what John is doing in the River Jordan. Uh, there's nothing unique about this. This has been done by other religions and so forth uh, for thousands and thousands of years in different kinds of purification rituals. The problem with it is that, that once you have washed that off, what takes its place in your life? Because our tendency is to go back 
to go back to the same places we've always known and to do the same things we've always done, which is why the whole Judean countryside and all of Jerusalem was going out to John because they'd go out there, repent, be forgiven, and then go back to doing the same thing they were, and a week later they needed to go back down to the river. And that repeated over and over and over. Because you and I are not able to resist that. You know, we, we talk on Emmaus Walks, we talk about coming to this moment, we talk about the things in your life that need to die, the sin in your life that needs to die. And so, uh, you know, we'll, we'll name those things, right? We're, this needs to die, and we'll dig the hole, and we'll bury it, and then as soon as we walk away, we'll go get the shovel and dig it back up. Or we pray to God, we say, okay, God, here, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you this, God, I want you to take this away from me, here it is, and then 10 seconds later, we're going, oh, oh, wait, I'll need that back. Because we keep going back to what we know. But something different happens when Jesus is baptized. He has this first part that, that has happened with everybody else that's the river there. And then there's that moment when the heavens open up and, and the Spirit descends upon him. And this is what J, uh, John's talking about. He says he's going to baptize you with water and spirit or water and the fire, which is the second half for us of Christian baptism, which makes Christian baptism unique. It is baptism by the Spirit. The indwelling of God's Spirit, the very life of God coming to dwell within us, where we say, Lord, this is who I want to be. I want to be the person that you have created and called me to be. And God says, I will empower you to do that. I will enable you to do that. You won't have to go back to being who you have been. I will empower you to make that change. Now, there's a story in the Acts of the Apostles, even in the early church, where they wrestled with this kind of understanding. Uh, Paul is passing through uh, Ephesus and he finds some disciples there. He says to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you became believers? They replied, no, we've not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Then he said, into what then were you baptized? They answered, into John's baptism. Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is, in Jesus on hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. Altogether, there were about 12 of them. And it was that, that indwelling of the Spirit that changed them, that empowered them, that allowed them to become the disciples God was calling them to be. And that's a crucial thing for you to hear this morning. Because what, what happens when we try to do it on our own is that we fail repeatedly. Um, you know, when we talk about this whole thing about, you know, baptism and this allowing us to be someone we haven't been before and all that, you know, I mean, it all sounds like it's really simple and real easy and neat and clean. And, you know, it really isn't. It's very complicated and messy in, in real life. And, and most of us who've been around a while, we can attest to that. But, but this, this piece of it, needing the Spirit, is crucial. Uh, J.D. Walton, one of the texts this fall, was, was writing about this. And, and he made a comment that really hit me. He said, you know, being a disciple of Jesus is not hard to do. It's impossible. You cannot do it by trying harder. You can only do it by the power of the Holy Spirit living in you. And, and that really hit me, and I thought about that, as, and, you know, just kind of out of my own experience of, of the things that I've wrestled with in my life. Now, I don't, I don't know about you, but, but in my life, you know, it's not like when I was baptized way back when that, you know, somebody threw a switch and everything changed overnight. Or rather, it's, it's kind of been this thing of, of piece by piece 
uh, surrendering things up to God. And piece by piece letting go of things. And, and finding new things that, that I, I was blind to that now I need to, to allow to die. And as those things I've let go, what I, I learned is that, you know, if I don't invite God, if I don't invite the Spirit to empower me to do that, I will go right back to it. Uh, you know, my, my addictions will come back to haunt me if I don't have the power of God enlivening me. My bad behaviors will return if, if God's power is not working in me. My destructive tendencies will come back and, and act out again if I don't have God's power working in me. Because that's who we are. We simply are not capable of doing this on our own. And if you've ever wrestled with that, where you've had a, a behavior or, or an addiction or whatever in your life, and, and you've, you've said over and over and over and over and over again, I need to stop that or I need to get rid of that, and you can't do it, the reason is because you're trying to do it on your own. Only with the power of God and God's life in you are you able to overcome those things. That's the power of baptism. It, it, it's not simply about forgiveness, but it's about this new life. You know, in the early church, they understood that when you were uh, immersed, that was dying. That was going into the tomb with Christ. And when you would come up out of the water, that was being resurrected into new life with Christ. And we tend to forget that part of baptism, that this is really, it's a resurrection story. It's about letting those old parts of your life die. So they no longer exercise power over you. They no longer define you. They no longer hold you in chains. But you're released from those, and then God in new life recreates you to be the person that God has called you to be and that you long to be. But it happens not by your strength and my strength, but by God's strength living in us. So this morning, in a few minutes, you're going to have a chance to come up and renew your baptism. If you have previously been baptized uh, in the Methodist Church, we don't redo your baptism because, uh, you remember, there's God in you, and we don't want to imply that God has not upheld God's end of the bargain. Uh, so we don't redo it. We renew your end of the baptism and understand that God is faithful to God's end of it. If you have not been baptized before, you'll have the opportunity to do that as part of this time. But I want to encourage you to hear this, not, not as just a, a, a time to come up and say, well, I'm sorry for all the things I did last year, but, but this is a chance to invite God to do something new in your life. It's a chance for, for recreation, for resurrection into the life that God is calling you to. To invite God's Spirit to come and live in you in power and in strength that you might be the person God created you to be. Remember, this is you. <laughs> this is between you and God. Baptism by the water, letting go of the past. Baptism by the Spirit, being raised to new life in the future. And this is your opportunity to come and to be part of the resurrection story. Let's pray. Almighty Father, we give you thanks that in your love 
Not only do you release us from those things in our past that would hold us captive, that would try to define us, but you pour new life into us that we might be the people you've created us to be, the people we long to be, the people we strive for, but are unable to do on our own. So we ask in this time that you, you bring our hearts to a place of trust that we can release into your hands those things that need to die in our lives, knowing that in the power and the life of your Spirit, you will raise us up into the new life you hold for us. We give you thanks for this in the name of Jesus. Amen.